0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Judges, the fifteenth chapter. Judges, chapter fifteen. That's where we're going to begin momentarily. Going to rip off uh, several verses right there at the top of the chapter in just a moment, and so you'll be helped tremendously by getting your Bible out and by reading those verses with me and following along with those passages and all the other things that we'll consider this morning from the Word of God. Let's be ready to to work together in the Scriptures. It is great as always to have the opportunity to spend this time together in God's Word. And this morning we are returning to our preaching theme for 2020 on Marriage... Matters. Marriage does matter and we're talking about different matters pertaining to marriage as God sees it and as God would have it. And I want to get right to it this morning as I'm talking about a subject that I am eager to speak about because it is a subject that is most needful in marriage. Read with me if you will in Judges the 15th chapter. I'm reading here beginning in verse 1 talking about Samson. We're told that at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and he went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room. But her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, the father said, that I gave her to your companion. Here, isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Verse 3, Samson said to them, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes and he tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. Verse 6, when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines, they went up and they burned her and her father to death. Samson then said to them, Since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and he stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. My oh my, that escalated quickly, didn't it? What started out, I believe, as just a misunderstanding, it led to Samson feeling as if he had been wronged, he had been sinned against, which then, of course, leads him to getting revenge for that. That's verses 4 and 5. The Philistines, upon finding out who did all of this to them, they decide that they need to get revenge for Samson's revenge. That's verse 6. Then Samson, in return for that, he gets revenge on their revenge for his revenge in verses 7 and 8. And by the way, that doesn't stop there. Keep on reading verse number 14. As Samson approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And the ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. This is the very epitome of one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Where there is just this never-ending spiral of revenge and counter-revenge with havoc and destruction just everywhere in its wake. What's missing here in the middle of all of this carnage is forgiveness. What's missing here is someone saying, hey, stop, 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 stop. I recognize that there are some things that I've done wrong here, and I'm sorry for that. And I think that if you were to look in your life and do some examination there as well, I think you'd find that there are some things that you regret as well. I'm willing to forgive and let's move on. Let's stop hurting each other. Let's stop making matters worse. Let's move on and let's do the right thing. That's a really different approach to what we read here in Judges 15, isn't it? but it is the approach that leads to the very best kinds of relationships. And that is certainly true in every relationship that you sustain here on this earth. But this morning I'm wanting to highlight the importance of forgiveness in the most important of all human relationships. I want to talk with you this morning about dropping the jawbone. I want to talk to you about forgiveness in marriage. There may not be a more essential skill in marriage than the ability to ask for and to extend forgiveness. Study after study shows that marital satisfaction, marital success, it is directly related to the willingness of husbands and wives to forgive each other whenever they make mistakes. Somebody has to drop the jawbone. Somebody has to say, hey, This is enough. This has gone too far. We're not going to fight anymore. We're not going to have all of this back and forth and retaliation and revenge and retaliation and revenge. We need to have forgiveness in order for this relationship to go forward and to be everything that God wants it and expects it to be. This morning, I do want to talk about forgiveness in marriage. And as we talk about that this morning, I need you to do something very special here. I need you to resist the temptation, husbands and wives. I need you to resist the temptation to maybe elbow your spouse in the middle of the sermon. Uh Are you getting that? I need you to resist the temptation to maybe be thinking in your mind, boy, oh boy, I hope she's listening or I hope he's paying attention here. No. If you listen in those terms, if you're listening for somebody else, you're going to miss it. That's an utter and total failure. I need you to listen this morning in very personal terms. What am I going to do? How can I work toward forgiveness? What is my responsibility in all of this? In fact, here's your verse this morning. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to think about this verse and think about it in the context of marriage. In Ephesians 4 and in verse 32, Paul writes there at the end of the chapter, Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul says that you have been forgiven so much. And in turn, you need to be ready to forgive so much. And I do realize that that is a lot easier said than done. I get that. But this morning we want to let the Word of God help us in three specific directions so that we're not caught in this cycle of retaliation and revenge where we destroy each other and destroy our marriage in the process. Instead, what we want is we want to be equipped and we want to be ready to drop the jawbone so that our marriage is defined by kindness and tenderheartedness and yes, most of all, forgiveness. And that all begins that all begins by just building an atmosphere that is conducive to forgiveness. Whenever two people get married and they come home from the honeymoon, what do they soon discover about each other? Well, they each discover that they have married someone with whom they have lots of differences. You might even get home from the honeymoon and find out that you have married someone who likes raw vegetables. Yuck! But that, it's a possibility. But you know what? More than just maybe some differences about what foods one of you likes or how one of you folds the clothes or which side of the bed that you get to sleep on, what we discover most of all is that we have married a sinner. That this person that I'm married to, this person falls short of the glory of God. And you know what? So has that person. They have married someone who falls short of the glory of God. And so now we've got two sinners. Two people living under the same roof who are sinners. They fall short of God's glory. What are you going to have in that scenario? Well sooner or later you're going to have some conflict there. You're going to have selfishness and self-centeredness and that leads to sin and that's going to lead to all kinds of problems. Look with me in James chapter 4, please. In James chapter 4, James describes this a little bit and he describes the process of how conflicts and difficulties arise between people. In James chapter 4, he says there in verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? He's probably talking here about in the church context, but this would be true in any relationship. What causes those things? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James describes here a lot of carnalness. He describes here a lot of selfishness and that in turn leads to quarreling and trouble and conflict. Now part of me wants to tell you that if you're married and especially if you're a newlywed, that hey, if you'll just hang in there, just kind of bear up and stick with it, that maybe by about year two, you'll just be able to get most of that conflict resolved and certainly by say year four, you'll be able to get all of it resolved. But... I can't make you that promise and that's not how that always works. And so what exactly does work? Well, what works and what we need is we need an atmosphere that allows for and even encourages forgiveness. Can I tell you two things that needs to be present in order for that to happen? First and foremost, we want to make sure that we are not turning molehills into big mountains. That is, let's not make little things into big, gigantic things. I'm looking now for the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs, the 19th chapter, here is the kind of climate that we want to create and we want our marriage to be just defined by. In Proverbs 19, look in verse 11. The wise man says there, Proverbs 19, verse 11, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. In marriage, there are going to be some minor slights and some minor offenses from time to time. But if we stop off and we decide we're going to make a federal case or maybe even just a state case out of every single one of those slights, then our marriage is going to be in a constant state of unrest and turbulence. In fact, one psychologist who studied more than 2,000 couples over a span of 25 years, he found that when the ratio of positive to negative interactions gets lower than 5 to 1, then resentment starts to build and it just ends up feeding on itself. Do you understand what that means? Well, what that means is is that means that every time something negative happens in your marriage, you need five good things to offset that. Now, now you just stop and you think about that. You think about that the next time that you're going to be inclined to complain about something minor. Oh, you always leave your towels on the floor. Oh, man, would you quit chewing your food with your mouth open? Ah, you can't drive. Whenever those things come up and they create an issue, now what we need is we need five positive things just to overcome that one negative thing that's been planted right there in the middle of our marriage. What that tells me is that tells me that we want to be very careful about picking at our mate over every minor infraction when we make those mountains out of molehills, that just creates an atmosphere of, of negativity in our relationship. And maybe right here is probably the best place as any to make very clear what it is that we're talking about today. When we're talking about forgiveness, then that implies that we are talking about sin. Have I been sinned against? That is worlds apart from you squeeze the toothpaste in the middle of the tube, dummy. That's very different, isn't it? So let's start by not making things that are little into big things. But then, if you'll find Genesis chapter 45, I will say as well that we want to make sure that we're not pretending that big things are just little bitty things. That's a mistake as well. We don't want to go plowing down mountains and turning them and calling them molehills. Look in Genesis chapter 45. In Genesis chapter 45, this is Joseph as he is confronting his brothers. In Genesis 45, look in verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you... Sold into Egypt. I got to tell you, you can't get any more straightforward than that. That is a direct confrontation of sin. That, hey, what you guys did to me, it was raw. There was no minimizing that. There was no trying to pretend that it was anything less than that. This was a huge issue, and their relationship was not going to go forward until this got cleared up. This needed to be addressed. You know, it does seem that sometimes in marriage, we tend to run to just these wild extremes. We have one extreme over here where we're making really big deals out of nothing, that's a disaster. And then, of course, we have this other extreme on the other side of things where we try to become a martyr and we're silently bearing every every injustice without ever saying a word about that. But downplaying or pretending, that, that, that doesn't make for a healthy relationship because the glue in marriage is what? The glue in marriage is trust, that we really do trust one another and that we can be honest with one another. And so just silently shouldering the pain of past hurts, that only builds bitterness and sometimes even hatred. Would you look with me over in Matthew chapter 18? In Matthew chapter 18, as Jesus talks here about relationships in the church, whenever there is sin between brethren, Jesus says, we don't just ignore that. We don't just act like that's just no big deal and sweep it under the rug. No, Jesus says we take care of that. In Matthew 18, look in verse 15. In Matthew 18, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. You need to go. You need to get that taken care of so that there can be repentance and there can be forgiveness and there can be restoration. And in marriage, in marriage it is no different. We want to create an atmosphere where we can approach one another and we can deal with our problems instead of allowing them to just fester and boil over. We want to be able to say, Hey, I was wronged here and I need to talk to you about that. Or even better, flip it around the other side, Hey, I did wrong and I need to talk to you about that. I need to ask you to forgive me when we have that right atmosphere, that then sets the stage for this second thing. And that is that we are now able to cultivate the right attitudes for forgiveness. And I want to break that out into both directions. That is for whenever we need to extend forgiveness and whenever we need to ask for that forgiveness. First and foremost, whenever you are in the position of being the forgiver, then there needs to be an eagerness to forgive. That is indeed the right attitude. There has to be a want, there has to be a desire to offer forgiveness. In Luke the 17th chapter, please. In Luke 17, Jesus tells us that this must in fact be the disposition of every child of God. In Luke chapter 17, whether you're married or whether you're not, this verse applies to you. In Matthew, excuse me, in Luke 17, look in verse 3, Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The attitude that we want in our marriage is the attitude that says, I want to forgive. I long to forgive. I am hoping that I get to forgive. Now that, of course, that attitude is very different than the spirit of our day and time. People today, by and large, do not want to drop the jawbone. No, instead, I want my pound of flesh. You give me what I've got coming to me. Now I realize that no one's ever going to say it in those terms. Instead, the way it usually manifests itself is in statements like this, like, well, well, you should have known better than to ever do that to me. Or, you know, hey, I want him to feel guilty for a little while so that he really knows what he's done. Yeah, I'll probably forgive him, but I'm not going to do that right away. I want him to feel the sting of this for a while. Or maybe the the attitude that says, you know what, I have the right to be angry at her. Or maybe even the attitude that says, you know what, I've already forgiven them. I've already forgiven them too many times and they just keep messing up. No more chances. Those kinds of excuses... They do not demonstrate an attitude that is eager to forgive. And furthermore, they do not reflect a proper understanding of just how much God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4.32 You know, aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't say to us, eh, I've already forgiven you way too many times, bucko. I just, I'm just afraid I'm not going to be able to forgive you anymore. Aren't you glad God doesn't say, eh, I'll forgive you maybe tomorrow. But in the meantime, I'm going to make you sweat a little bit. I'm going to make you stew in your own misery for a little while. That isn't how the Lord treats us. And if that isn't how the Lord treats us, then that isn't how we can treat our spouses. Forgiveness is the decision to release someone from a debt. We are releasing them from their debt of sin against and that is a decision that I should be eager to make. I should be working for opportunities to make that. I want to forgive. Now, on the other side of that equation, whenever you are the one who is needing the forgiveness, what's the right attitude? Well, the right attitude there is a humility to admit wrongdoing and to repent. Are you still looking there at Luke 17? Look again at verse 3. Verse 3 once again. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, that sounds so simple. Of course, Jesus repeats that again in verse 4, the idea of repentance there, a person who is humbling themselves before them. Now, that does sound so simple, but you and I know that 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 kind of humility and that kind of a willingness to do that kind of thing, the kind of attitude that just freely acknowledges sin and is eager to turn away from it, I don't want to do that anymore, that's really hard to come by in our world today. Because oftentimes pride gets in the way, and it interferes with that whole process. And pride causes us to say things like, well, you know what, you know, everybody makes mistakes, so, so come on, I'm no different than everybody else. Or maybe pride causes us to say things like, you know what, I would have never even done what I did if you hadn't done what you did. Or maybe even to say, ah, there's no sense in even asking. Because if I do ask, she isn't going to forgive me anyway. All of those lines, all of those excuses, they utterly fail. Those lines and those excuses, they don't work in our relationship with God. When well, the world makes us think that they would work in our marriage relationship. All that does is it just destroys the opportunity for repentance as we try to rationalize and explain away the sin that we are refusing to acknowledge. And the longer that I have that kind of an attitude, that I'm, not, I'm just not going to admit this wrong that I've been accused of, or maybe just whenever I am accused of wrongdoing and I, yeah, I know I'm guilty of it, but I just make a big deal out of it, make a big fuss, make a big fracas about all of that and I'm creating World War III out of all that in hopes that maybe in the middle of all that chaos we'll just forget what I did. The longer I do that, all I am doing is poisoning my marriage and damaging my relationship with my spouse. Maybe what's needed most here from both the forgiver and the forgivee is what's mentioned over in Luke chapter 10. Would you just fall back a few pages in Luke? In Luke chapter 10, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there Jesus tells a very famous story. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 30 that there was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead. In verses 31 and 32, there's a priest and then a Levite who come across the man. They see the man lying there and they do nothing about it. But then verse 33. Verse 33, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. I believe that that is the key attitude. We need compassion. We need empathy. Whatever you want to call it, it is the ability to feel with someone. Even more so, it's the ability to feel into someone. That's the literal definition of empathy. To picture myself in that other person's shoes. And that is what the Samaritan is doing here. That is what he is modeling here for us. What would I need... If I was the man lying there in the ditch, how would I feel if people saw me on the side of the road and they just walked right on by? This man had compassion. And that is exactly what is needed in marriage. Whether I'm the forgiver or whether I'm the forgivee, I have been on both sides of those equations. And I'm going to guess that you have been on both sides of that equation. And so I know and you know what it's like to be the person who does wrong and to have to humble myself and to then ask for forgiveness. And by that same token, I also know how painful and difficult it is to be the one who the wrong has been done to. And I understand as well how hard it can be to grant that forgiveness. We've all been on both sides of that coin. And so whatever part you might be playing in all of this, you can have empathy. You can have compassion. And when we have that, that then enables us to have the right attitude that leads to forgiveness, which brings us thirdly and finally to just the actions of forgiveness. We've got the right atmosphere. We've got the right attitude. Now we want to perform the right actions that will bring about that forgiveness. Let me be just very specific and very practical about that as we close. Let's just start by talking, first of all, to the one who is seeking forgiveness. You're the one who's, you've done something wrong to your spouse. You recognize you've done wrong. You realize what you need to do. You need their forgiveness. What exactly should you do? Well, let me just say, first of all, that you need to be quick to ask for forgiveness. You do. The longer that you wait the worse it's going to get. There'll be just more opportunities for pride, more opportunities for defensiveness, more opportunities for temptation that will cause you to ignore what you did or pretend that it didn't even happen. We want to be swift in making things right. We don't want to let that linger. We want to get in there and say, I am sorry for what I have done and I want to try to take care of that as quickly as I possibly can because I want forgiveness. As we're doing that, We need to remember that the size of the apology needs to be appropriate to the size of the wound. For example, if a woman calls her husband a a mean name, uses just some kind of a derogatory term and is just very disrespectful in some name that she calls him, well, that's not right and she needs to repent of that. She needs to apologize for that. But you know what? That's not the same thing as confessing infidelity, is it? Those are are two very, very, very different offenses. And so we need to have some sense of perspective here. You know, when David was convicted about his sin of, of murder and adultery with Bathsheba and Uriah and all of that, David, in response to that, he wrote two whole Psalms, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. David understood, I think, the gravity of what he had done, the far-reaching effects of his sin, the consequence of it even beyond his own self. And we want to be able to do that too. We want to make sure that we are apologizing in an appropriate way where we communicate to the other person that we realize the magnitude of what we have done to them. And one of the ways that we do that is by avoiding the use of any of that if language. You know what I mean here? Politicians do this kind of thing all the time. Oh, I'm so, so sorry if I've offended anyone. That just almost makes it sound like, well, if you got offended, well, well, that's really kind of on you. I mean, I'm sorry that you're so sensitive. But remember, what are we talking about here? We're talking about sin. If you have sinned against your spouse in some way, then there's no if, is there? No. There's no qualifying statements that need to be attached to that. It's simply, I did wrong. The Bible already makes clear what I did. It was wrong. It was a sin. And now I need your forgiveness. And that means as well, that means we've got to just dispense and get rid of all the excuse making. There can be none of this, well, I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't have done that. There can't be any of this stuff of, well, you know, I admit that I maybe said or did the wrong thing, but you know what? You've got to admit that you had it coming. No! That kind of thing works against forgiveness. I want you to please remember that an apology is not meant to fish out an apology from the other person. That's not what we're trying to do. This is about owning up to what I did. And this is about me throwing myself at their mercy. And in that connection, i got to tell you, it's just really hard to beat a very simple and straightforward I did wrong. I did. And I'm so sorry for that. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I'm going to try never to ever do that ever again. I think that kind of thing helps to open the door to forgiveness. Now... What if you're on the receiving end of that apology? What if you are called upon in the moment to be the one to extend forgiveness? How are we going to respond? Because make no mistake about it. This is a critical moment. How are we going to respond here? You know, our marriage could it could grow and flourish and be made stronger here, or depending on how I respond, it could be a total train wreck that never ever recovers. Well, let me say first of all, if you're the one that's called upon to extend the forgiveness, first of all, make sure that you don't minimize things. All too often, when someone comes to us and they apologize, we say things like, oh, don't worry, but it's no big deal. Or, ah, oh, you know, I'm, yeah, I realize you did that, but you know, I've made mistakes too. And listen, I know why we do that kind of thing. It's because we're uncomfortable. Somebody comes to us and they humble themselves before us like that. We're just made to feel very uncomfortable. But listen to me, if your spouse has hurt you, if they have sinned against you, don't minimize that. Again, Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, you sold me into slavery. Joseph did not say, well, you know, guys, you you were kind of mean to me back then, but... But you know, I was kind of a snotty brat myself. I guess I kind of deserved No! None of that! They did wrong. In fact, they did a big wrong and it needed to be treated as such. And that means as well that we don't want to pretend like the offense that happened to us that it didn't hurt. You know, in the Bible, when people sin against God, God gets upset about that. He does. In fact, God doesn't hide His upsettedness. In Exodus chapter 32, when the people were down there at the bottom of the mountain building a golden calf, the Bible says that God's wrath and God's anger were greatly stirred. Or in Hosea chapter 11, when the people of Israel are in apostasy, they've forsaken the Lord, God's heart is torn within Him. He is saddened by that. Now if God can express His hurt over sin then you and I don't need to try to put some kind of a mask over ourselves whenever we are hurt by sin. Oh, it, yeah, no, it really didn't bother me all that much. No! Sin does hurt. And sin does damage our relationships. And so if we have been hurt by our spouse, we need to just say that, that, yeah, that really hurt me. I was really angry about that. Or I was really, really sad about that. But you know what? I'm glad that you've come to me. I'm glad that we're talking about this. I'm glad that you've apologized. And then, and then what we need to do is we need to accept a sincere confession. We're not going to make them say it twice. We're not going to make them get down and grove. Oh, hey, you know, I think this would work a lot better if you got down on your hands and knees. Yeah, that will really make this apology work. No. We're going to accept a genuine apology. We're not going to criticize their grammar or their word choice. We're going to accept it with gratitude and yes, remember, we're going to accept it with empathy because we know how hard those words are to say. If I'm asking someone else for forgiveness, I know that I don't want them to judge me and judge my motives and judge my heart. Well, you know what? I don't think you really mean what you said to me. I don't want people to do that to me. But if I want people to accept a sincere apology from me, then I need to be willing to do the same for others, especially when it's my spouse. And then a moment does finally come where you do just need to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Those are powerful words. You know, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew chapter 18 about a king who forgives a debt, and he says to the man, I forgive you. He releases that servant. Those are important words, and they need to be verbalized. Say those words because your spouse needs to hear them. And then finally, finally, we do need to be working for reconciliation. Now, I want you to please be advised that reconciliation is not the same as forgiveness. And furthermore, reconciliation is not an automatic thing. You know, you can have forgiveness without reconciliation. There are certain relationships in life where, all right, forgiveness takes place, but maybe you're never reconciled to that person. But you know what? In marriage, since this is a lifetime commitment, well, there's going to have to be reconciliation. It's just not no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Going to have to have that happen because we got to keep on being husband and wife. As one writer put it, forgiveness is getting the weeds out of the garden, and reconciliation is planting new flowers in their place. And let's be clear that that can take some time, but it can come. It can come as we accept one another as we refuse to keep up bringing past sins that have been forgiven, as we do the right kinds of things to get the relationship beyond this temporary setback of the moment so that it can heal and it can grow and it can thrive the way that God intends for marriage too. Now, In some ways, even listing all of this, putting all of this together here and talking about atmospheres and attitudes and actions and then thinking back to the beginning about Samson and the Philistines and whether they could have done all of that, ah, that's maybe some wishful thinking. That maybe just isn't all that realistic. Samson is just so fierce and angry all the time. And the Philistines, they're just so aggressive and warlike all the time. They're just at each other's throats constantly. But you know what? Maybe that just points to the need for us to drop the jawbone all the more. Husbands, do you want to be like Samson in your marriage? Wives, do you want to be like the Philistines in your marriage? Is that what you want? just constantly fussing at each other all the time, tearing each other apart, being at each other's throats constantly, then you'll have to do better than they did. And the good news is, is that you can do better than they did when you seek and when you grant forgiveness in your marriage. God says that that is realistic because He's given you and I all the tools that we need in order to make that possible. Would you pray with me, please? Let's go to God in prayer. Our dear gracious God, we humble ourselves before You, thanking You so very much for the gift and the blessing of forgiveness. Father, we thank You, first of all, for Your forgiveness toward us. That You have modeled for us what forgiveness is all about, the power of it, the magnitude of it. Help us, Father, to recognize that your forgiveness is a pattern for us in our dealings with one another. Father, we pray especially a blessing in our marriages as husbands and as wives. And as we deal with the difficulties of life, Father, we come recognizing and confessing that we are sinners, that we say and we think and we do things that we ought not to many times to one another. Father, we're asking first of all for your forgiveness for that. But Father, help us to seek for and to extend forgiveness to each other. Father, help us to be cultivating the right kind of atmosphere, to develop the right kind of attitudes, and then to perform the right kind of actions so that forgiveness can be attained in our marriages. Father, we want so very much for our marriages to grow and to be strong and to be healthy and to bring honor and glory to You. We pray that you would help us in every step of that way. We thank you so much for Jesus that makes our forgiveness possible. And it is through His blessed and holy name that we offer this prayer. And amen.